Okay, the kids can go with Miss Karen now for the all right. It's gonna be a really good sermon, man. You gotta stay. Sometimes uh, when you're a preacher, you lose your voice. <clears throat> I'll do my best. Uh, one day the Lord's going to give us a worship leader up here, and I'll be out there where I belong. Um, you know, sometimes when you're a preacher, uh, and, and you get into a text, and, and uh, you, you get heavy. And sometimes, you know, the superficiality kind of gets torn away sometimes, and sometimes it's good. It's good to come in here and celebrate. It's good to celebrate, but you know what, brothers and sisters? Sometimes it's good to be sober before God, and sometimes it's good to feel conviction of our sin. And it's good that we are mindful of that, and it's good that we will repent of our sin. And this week, I don't know. Karen can probably attest, I've been a little heavy as, I, as I've studied this text and I felt the weight of it. Now John Piper says, in all good preaching, there's always gravity and gladness. There's always a balance between gravity and gladness. And friends, this text is grave for the church. And we need to hear what Jesus is saying. And we need to be soft in His hands. I told you last week that bad theology hurts people. And I... I borrowed that, that, that quote from John Piper, and here's the sentiment that I borrowed it from in a book of his. He says, wrong thinking about God leads to wrong what? Believing. And wrong believing leads to what? Wrong living. And there are eternal consequences in all of that. You know, pastor types like me, you know, when we see a church experience phenomenal growth, we want to know, is that man orchestrated? Is that, is that men rounding off the edges of the gospel, making it palatable to the natural man, that the man can come in the flesh and sit in that congregation and never be convicted of their sin, and never believe that they need to repent, and never believe they need to make Jesus Christ Lord of their lives? Or is that a God-sent revival? And you know, when you see a phenomenal growth in a church, you can just go to their website. Here's how you find out. You go to their website, you listen to one sermon. You can listen to one sermon, just about, maybe not always, but you can just about listen to one sermon and you can figure out, are they tickling ears here? Are they preaching Christ? Is it a man-orchestrated thing or is it a God-sent thing? And friends, it won't be God-sent unless Christ is being magnified, and unless the Word of God is being preached. You know, three jokes and two good stories is not preaching. Okay? The text that God has left us, He means for us to learn it. He means for us to preach it. He means for us to hear it. He means for us to take it in. He means for us to be changed by His beautiful Word. 
remember my seminary professor, he was talking about these guys that spin the gospel, you know, and make it into almost, they, well, they really do, they make it into a false gospel. You know, you know, my health, my wealth, my prosperity, all this stuff. And he had a great thing he said about that. He says, this is con cotton candy preaching. He says, it's all sugar and air. So next time you see a church that's experiencing phenomenal growth, and you want to know what's really going on there, go and listen to one of the sermons, and, and it won't take you very long to figure out. Is God lifted up? Is He high? Is it a God-centered thing? Is, are, are the people in awe of God? Or is it, I'm okay, you're okay? One of those kinds of sermons. Cotton candy. God says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, He says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, turning their ears away from the truth. Karen and I were talking about it this week, you know. We, we talk about things like this all the time. And I want to have 10,000 people out here. And Lord willing, someday we will, but it won't be because we knock the edges off the truth. It won't be because I'm good at spinning the gospel. It won't be because I'm slick and I can stand up here and entertain you. It's not about preaching. It's not about entertaining. Preaching is about being changed by the Word and the Spirit of God. Yeah, I want 10,000 people out here, but not at the expense of leaving God's Word behind. We'll never do it as long as we are here. I want 10,000 people to be out there because we love the gospel and because we get the gospel and because we live the gospel. Friends, that's the power. People will be attracted as you and I go out in the world and live it and they see Christ in our lives. These guys that spin the gospel, they do two uh, very damaging and, and, and dangerous things. One is they deceive people into believing they're Christians when they're not. And friends, it's an epidemic all over the world. It's an epidemic. The other thing they do, the other thing they do is that they impoverish true believers who happen to be sitting in their congregations and hearing uh, their cotton candy preaching. Friends, God is meant to be a banquet for His believers. God in His Word is meant to be a banquet. We are supposed to come and feed. We're supposed to come and eat meat. We're supposed to be encouraged and emboldened and strengthened. And sometimes we celebrate and sometimes we tremble. And that's good. That's good. We need to do that. We need to do that. John, the Gospel of John has been a banquet. I bet I could get an amen on that. It has been a banquet for me. Even the hard parts, particularly the hard parts, has been a sweet banquet, I think. And John 15 is going to be no different. John 15 is going to be no different. Let me set the stage for you here. We, we remember from John 14, verse 31, you may remember, Jesus was teaching, and then He says, Arise, let us go from here. So, they're leaving the upper room, right? Jesus is going to make His way through Jerusalem. He's going to go out the gate. And He's headed for the Garden of Gethsemane. And as He heads for the Garden, no doubt He passes a vineyard. 
And Jesus says, I'm the vine. The Father's the vine dresser. And you are the branches. Jesus passes that vineyard and he says, you see that vine? He says, that's how it is with you and me. That's how it is with you and me. You're in me. And I give you everything you need. It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, allegory. And it's a beautiful teaching of the Father and the Son. And although the Spirit's not mentioned, He's here. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But friends, what, what Jesus says in the next eight verses is urgently needed in the church today. In, in, in our church and in the, in the church at large. These are foundational and fundamental truths that we need to understand. <clears throat> now many try to soften this text, make it a little more marketable. But <laughs> we're not in the business of spinning God's Word. We're, trying, we're in the business of trying to, to fully apprehend it and understand it. So God can do what He needs to do in our lives. And friends, Jesus is going to say, this is what real Christianity looks like. It looks like a branch who's bearing fruit for me. This is what He's going to say. And He's saying, if you don't bear fruit, then you're not really of me, and you will be removed and cast out. Okay? So heaven and hell is in the balance here. Heaven and hell is in the balance in these eight verses. So let's, let's take a look at them. John 15, 1. I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. <clears throat> one of the sights, and I know some of you could, can relate to this, one of the sights that I love as I drive through Italy are all the vineyards. I love them. I'm not sure why. I, I can't really articulate to you, but I find them very pleasing. I find them a pleasing sight. And I don't know anything about vineyards, but I know one thing just from looking at them. They're labor-intensive, right? Somebody's got to care a lot and work a lot to get that perfect cluster of grapes to form. You can't really, I don't think you can mechanize, mechanize that type of agriculture like you can other types. This is a hands-on thing, and I love this analogy that Jesus talks about here. His hands are on us, friends. And I love that. I love these images that God gives us in the Bible. Our God is no disinterested or distant Father. His hands are on us. He never grows weary. He never misplaces His passion for us. One of the images I love is, and we sang this last week, we probably should have sung it this week, but uh, is the potter in the clay. God is the perfect artisan. And God is going to have His hands on you and He's going to make His masterpiece in you. You can count on it. He's going to do it. We're going to talk about that some as we get into the parable next week as we talk about the pruning. Same thing. God's hands are on you. And what is, what is God saying in Philippians chapter 1? I will complete the good work I've begun. You can count on it, friends. If you're a Christian... God's hands are going to be on you and He's going to be molding you and changing you and making you. He will bring you into conformity with Christ. He will do it. Another image, we saw this in John 10 and I loved it so much. I loved that study 
and all the studying I got to do about what a first century Jewish shepherd did for his sheep and how he loved those sheep. He knew them by name. He could call them. They knew his voice. They wouldn't come to any other shepherd. They would only come to him. And I loved all that. And, he, and when he called them into the, the, the pen or the fold in the evenings, he would hold down his staff and the sheep would have to kneel under his staff and he would examine them carefully to make sure there had been no injury. He loved his sheep. He would, he would die for his sheep. As, and he would fight for his sheep. It's like David said, you remember when he was about to go out and face down Goliath, he said, I fought the bear and I fought the lion. This is what shepherds did. This is what shepherds did. And Jesus said, remember in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. And then tonight, we've got this this. This third image, Jesus says, I am the vine. My Father is the vine dresser. And you are the branches. And I want to say to you, the Father's here. He's the architect of salvation. He's the architect of salvation. He's the attentive farmer, the attentive vine dresser. Jesus Christ is involved, obviously. He has redeemed us by His finished work on the cross. And also, although the, the Spirit is not mentioned in this, in this uh, allegory, I want you to know He's in there symbolically. He's the sap running between the vine and the branches. So the Trinity is involved. The Trinity has its hands on... If you're a Christian tonight, the Trinity has His hands all over you. You're the clay, you're the sheep, and you're the branch. It's a beautiful picture of God's sovereign, omnipotent love for us. And I love it. Jesus is walking through the vineyard. He says, man, that's what it looks like. That's what it really is. That's what Christianity is. It's you in me. And you bearing fruit and changing the world. That's what it is. That's what real Christianity is. Okay? It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Now, for, for the 11 men who, who heard him say these things, this, this imagery, they understood this imagery. The vine, how many times, I, I couldn't count them all, but numerous times in the Old Testament, God referred to Israel as the vine. You know this, right? Uh, the vine was actually on many of the Jewish coins, uh, the, uh, an, ins an inscription of vine. Also on the temple door was a, a large gold embossed Vine. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, they knew it. They got it. They understood it. And so you and I need to endeavor to understand it as well. The other thing I need to touch on before I move on, and I know that most of you know this, but this will be the seventh and last I am statement of Christ, right? You're familiar with the Gospel of John and how, how the Gospel of John is written around seven I am statements. Uh, I think I told you most of you were not here at that time, but when we started John a long time ago in the first sermon, I told the group that the Greek in John is third and fourth grade level. So in seminary, when you have to do a translation, you hope they give you John because it's easy. And why am I telling you that? God means for you to get John. It's third and fourth grade level. Yes, the theology is lofty, but the grammar and the vocabulary is very simple. 
God means for you to get it, and He means for you to live it. He means for you to get that Jesus is I am. Right? Jesus is I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then tonight, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Okay. Now I'm going to teach maybe more than preach for the next few minutes. There are some interpretive challenges here in this, in this allegory. And I don't want any of us to be confused because you're going to hear bad teaching, false teaching, just erroneous teaching. Uh, if you're around very long, you're going to hear it. And so we need to, to be able to understand it. Particularly with regard to the branches being removed and cast into the fire. What is the text saying to us? The branches are said in verse 2 to be in Christ. It said, Jesus says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the Father takes it away, and every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. Now, the, the interpretive challenge is that Jesus says the branch is in me, but then the text says the branch is taken away and it is cast into the fire, which is verse 6. So how are, we, how are we to understand this? Are we to understand that this is a Christian who's lost their salvation? And many say, well, what this is, is what is actually being cast into the fire are the fleshly works of the believer as per 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You remember, uh, Paul talks about this. If you, if you have wood, hay, and stubble works, they're going to be what? Burned up. You lose your reward. And some people, some interpreters say, well, that's what that means. And then the third option is that these, false, that these branches are false disciples. They never were really in Christ. They only gave the appearance of being in Christ. So those are our options. and We need to, we need to talk through those and, and, and uh, understand this. Three things, and I know most of you know this, uh, when you're looking at a parable, when you're looking at an allegory, there are three things you have to do. You have to, one, look at context. Anytime you're looking, anytime you're trying to interpret Scripture, you have to look at context. You have to know what immediately happened before Jesus said these things that He's saying. That will give you a lot of insight into what, his, what He means. You also, as I've told you many times, you have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Our interpretation of a parable or an allegory always has to square with the rest of the Bible. It has to square with the rest of the Bible. We always let Scripture in general interpret Scripture in the particular, okay? And the last thing you have to do with a parable or an allegory is you can't press the symbolism too far. You can't press it too far. And many people are guilty of that many, many times. So, having said that, let's take a look at, at, at these options here. First, I want to dismiss the view that these non-fruit-bearing branches are talking about Christians who lose their salvation. I think most of you know this, um, but some teach that a Christian can lose their salvation. Some people actually teach this, and it's false. It, can't, it could not be more categorically false. The whole theme of the New Testament, the whole theme of the Bible is that God saves. And friends, when God saves, God saves eternally. 
Okay? So this, this whole thing about losing your salvation, it's a superficial understanding of what the Bible is teaching about salvation. If we, if, we, if we wrap our minds around what the Bible's saying, it's saying God saves. And if God saves us, we are saved indeed. We are saved indeed. There's those two great texts that we've talked about as we've come through John. Let me just give you two. I don't have to proof text this. It's the message of the whole Bible. But I'll give you two, two from the Gospel of John. John 6, 37, Jesus said, All that the Father gives me shall come to me. All of them that He gives will come. And then He says this in John 10, 28, And I will give them eternal life. They shall never perish, and no one can snatch them from me. I want to dismiss this idea that this is Christians losing their salvation. Friends, if, if you've been taught that, you've had the misfortune to, be, to, to have set under bad teaching. That's not what the Bible teaches. And if you, if you struggle with that, if you have a problem with that, I'd be happy to spend a lot of time with you to work on that because that is not what the Bible teaches. Secondly, uh, let me address this notion that what is being removed here and burned are the wood, hay, and stubble works of um, the true believer. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and Paul talks about this, that the wood, hay, if you build on, if you build on the foundation of Christ and, and your works are wood, hay, and stubble, they'll be burned up in, at the judgment. Now, you probably can already see the problem with that. The problem with that is the difficulty with this interpretation is that the pas- in the passage, Jesus says the individual is the branch, not his works. So this is a gross mixing of metaphors. Okay, so how does, how does the branch all of a sudden stop being me and it starts being my works? Friends, this is just not consistent. It's not being honest with the text. In my view, it's just an attempt to tone down or lessen the impact or make it more palatable. Because you know, people in the church today, most people in the church today, most churches, they don't want to hear that hell's real, right? And that's one of the things that, that uh, you can tell if you go look at one of these websites, you know. And is, is hell a reality anymore? Is judgment a reality anymore? Is the wrath of God a reality anymore? Friends, it is. It is. And if I love you, I'm going to preach it to you. And if you love your friends and neighbors and family, you're going to make sure they understand that we are in peril if we ignore the words of Christ, if we do not receive Him as our Lord and Savior. So, I'm, I, I want to submit to you that, I, that, that this is not the works that are being burned up. Okay? These are not the works being burned up. That leaves me with one other legitimate uh, question in verse 2, and I want to point this out to you. Because this is a valid question. Jesus says these non-bearing branches are in me. So, are we to understand that these branches in Him, are they genuinely converted? Uh, are they Christians? Are they genuinely converted? Are they real believers? Because the text says that they are in Him. Is that what it means? I will submit to you that no, that is not what it means. And I, and I think that's an instance of pressing the symbolism a little too far. And you say, well, Jim, 
How can that be? Well, there's a perfect example. There's an analogy exactly like this that Paul uses in Romans chapter 11. Do you remember it? Do you remember the olive tree? When Paul's talking about the unbelief of the Jews? Do you remember that? Do you remember in, in Romans chapter 11? And what happened? Romans, you can look it up later. I won't take you there, but Romans 11, 16 to 24. What happened to the unbelieving branches? What did God do with them? He broke them off. And who was grafted in? You and me, right? <laughs> but he broke off the unbelieving branches. And there's a verse there. There's a verse there that makes me tremble. I don't know. It's good to tremble before God. He's talking about, Paul's talking about God breaking off those branches for their unbelief. And he says, Behold then the kindness of God by grafting you in. But then he says, Behold the severity of God to those who fell. Friends, we, we, we have to deal with the Bible with integrity. We can't just preach the happy part all the time. Okay? And we can't, we can't be guilty of rounding off the edges to make it palatable to men. There's a reason, there's a reason that hell comes from Jesus' lips more than any other source in the Bible. It's from the lips of the Son of God. It's real, it's serious, and He's warning us. He's warning us. Okay, and now to the context. To me, the context makes this parable simple. And this is what a lot of Christians don't do. They don't take the time. They'll look at a verse and somebody will say, well, that's what it means. They go, oh, okay. But you've got to look at context. And I want to show you this context. I think it's, uh, it's very, very important in this, in this instance. It's taken us a month or two to preach through John 13 and 14. But what has happened in the upper room has taken probably an hour, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. Okay, so what happened the first thing, they, when they got into the upper room, does anybody remember what happened first? Jesus washed their feet. Do you remember? Jesus washed their feet. And do you remember what Peter said? Peter said, no, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, then you'll not be clean. And Peter said, well, wash me all then. Wash my head and my hands. Right? So that's what's going on there uh, as they get into the upper room. And I want to show you John 13... Let me just turn over. John 13, 10 and 11. I'm going to read it to you. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. Okay, now I want to jump back over to John 15, and I want you to see what Jesus says in verse 3. You are already clean, because of the word which I have spoken to you. Do you see the difference between what he said in John 13 and what he said in John 15? Does anybody see the difference? Does it jump off the page at anybody? There's one difference. In John 13 he says, not all of you are clean. In John 15 he says, you're clean with no exception. What's changed? What's changed? Judas is gone. Friends, that's what the, that's what the parable is about. The false branch is gone. The false Christian, the, the, the false 
the one who had just merely attached himself to Christ with outward verbal profession, he's now gone. This helps us interpret this parable. Judas is gone. Friends, Jesus doesn't say things just to hear himself talk. He says things for a reason. And the Holy Spirit directed John to record this parable, this allegory, in this context for a reason. We're supposed to understand that the Jewish branch is gone. And we're supposed to understand that the branch that does not bear fruit is a Judas branch. It will be removed. It will be like that olive tree, the unbelieving Jew. God will rip it off. That's the symbolism of this allegory. That's what's being talked about. That's what Jesus is talking about. Judas was, and I'm going to use a word here. I'm going to use a word here that probably some of you have never heard in a pulpit before, from a pulpit before, or any, anymore. You know, if you read old sermons, you, you see this word sometimes. But Judas was a hypocrite. Judas was a fraud. And what I want to say to you is the church is full of those who profess with their mouth but their heart is far from God. Right? Their heart. Jesus says that. Jesus talks about that in Matthew. Matthew Henry said this, regarding these non-fruit-bearing branches, they are only tied to Christ by the thread of outward profession. Though they seem to be branches, they merely profess Christ and nothing more. Friends, Judas looked real. Everybody knew Judas was real. Everybody thought he was real. They thought he was a Christian. They thought he, they, he was a disciple. But you know what Judas had never done? <laughs> Judas had never given his heart to Christ. Judas never really loved Jesus. And friends, I want to tell you, you, you can, if you're a Christian, you're going to love Christ. Friends, you're going to love Him. It's not a religious thing. You're going to love Him. Okay? And the other thing Judas never did, he never made Christ Lord of his life. And friends, if you're a Christian, Christ, Christ is going to be your Lord. And we've just saw it in John 14. If you love me, you're going to do what? Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. Friends, this is what real Christianity is. It's loving and obeying Christ. It's not, and I know you know that it's not just coming to church and singing some songs and saying some prayers. It's infinitely deeper and more profound than that. And I want us to understand it. And I want you to understand that I preach strong sometimes because I have a stewardship for you before God. I am His under-shepherd to you. And I'm not going to spin the Gospel and I'm not going to round off the edges. And why am I not going to do that? Because God has called me to love you. Now if I didn't love you, if I just wanted to draw a crowd, well I'd have a party every Sunday. we just have a party. 
Sometimes we need to be sober. If we're going to be the people of God, we need to be sober about the things of God. Sometimes that's what, you know, that's what happens when you preach the next verse, right? <laughs> you know, um, you come to the next verse and you preach it, whatever it is, whatever it says. Matthew chapter 7, many of you are familiar with it. Jesus said these things. Every good tree bears what? Good fruit. Then He said, every tree that does not bear good fruit is what? It is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's the very same imagery. It's it's the identical imagery. Then He said this, You will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of My Father. The meaning is clear in this parable. These non-fruit-bearing branches are false Christians. They are tares among the wheat. They are those who are merely religious with God. There's no real relationship going on at all. No real relationship going on at all. Friends, I want to say to you, we're going to talk more about it next week. If you're a believer, there's fruit somewhere. Okay? (laughs) And next week we're going to talk about what fruit means. But there's a grape somewhere. Okay? There's a grape or two somewhere. God's doing something in you. If you're a Christian, there will be fruit on your branch. That's what the Bible teaches. So, bad theology hurts people. And bad theology leads to wrong thinking about God. And wrong thinking about God leads to wrong believing about God. And wrong believing about God leads to living wrong. And living wrong has eternal consequences. That's what this parable is about. It is a sober parable. It is one of those sermons, uh, it's one of those, as Piper says, it's one of those gravity sermons. Uh, Every time I preach the gospel, every time you witness to a lost person, the same thing is at stake. Everything forever. Okay? Everything forever is at stake. Every time we share the Gospel, every time we preach the Gospel. I love what oh, John Baxter said, that great famous Puritan preacher. He said, I always preach as a dying man to dying men. Now there's a man who loved his people. I always preach as if it's my last time. I love my people. And if I need to, I'll encourage them. But if I need to, I'll warn them. That's a pastor that loves his people. Yes, there's a time for celebration, and, and, and I love those times, but friends, there's a time to be humble and in awe of God. There's a time to, be, to, to tremble before the Lord. There's a time to do business with God. There's a time to leave your sin and wholly and completely come to God. That's what Jesus is talking about in this in this parable, I, I'm, I'm about finished. i got one more or two things to say. I went to uh, one of these mega churches. I went to one of their websites, okay? 
I wanted to see what they said about John 15. First of all, I was surprised that they had taught on John 15. Okay, I was surprised. But I wasn't surprised what I saw. This is what I saw. I read there that I don't need to be uptight about this text. Okay? Heaven and hell aren't really at stake here. It's not good to be fruitless, but hey, it's nothing to be uptight about. There's a man that cares nothing for his flock. He just wants to fill up his church. He just wants to have a big budget. He wants to be written up in the theological journal. Okay? Because he's got a big crowd. And he keeps his crowd coming because he doesn't preach the truth. He gives them cotton candy. He gives them sugar and air. And we don't do that here. So next week, we're going to talk about some more about this allegory. We're going to talk about what abiding means. We're going to talk about what pruning means. We're going to talk about what fruit is in the Christian's life. What is it? We're going to talk about how abiding in Christ affects our prayer life. We're going to talk about how God is glorified in this. Okay? I'm done. But I'm going to challenge you like I did four weeks ago. I think it was four weeks ago. I looked up the old sermon. And the Lord has, has led me to close this way like I did four weeks ago. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, I think. Yeah. Paul told the Corinthians to examine themselves. He says, examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. And I think I'm going to close with that. Because a, a conscientious pastor, a pastor that loves his flock, he's going to be saying, friends, examine yourself. Just like Paul told the Corinthians and just like Jesus is saying to His eleven, examine yourself. Are you in the faith? Are you loving Christ? Are you following Christ? Are you obeying Christ? This is a great text, friends. And if you're not going to be here next week, please get the recording of it because you've only got part of it. We're going to talk about what fruit looks like, what it is, and, and what it means to abide. So it's very important you've only got part of this and you need the rest. But friends, um, let it not be said that people can sit in the International Church of Milan indefinitely and be deceived about their spiritual condition. Friends, I, I need to just go sell used cars. If that's the case, I need to just do something else. If I would allow you to, to sit in here very long and be deceived about your spiritual condition, then I am not loving you and I am not doing my job before God. So we're in one of those, those grave texts. They're there for a reason. So let's examine our hearts and our lives before God. Let's stand and sing together. Let's sing our closing uh, chorus. It's on your song sheet.